Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this Friday morning by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? You know, I'm I'm good, Dave. You know, it's very interesting, and um, you know, I don't want to I don't want to admit to this, and I would never admit to this to my wife, but everyone listening will probably relate. When you have a good UCLA team, like, I mean, not only just the Arizona win, but really dismantling and taking care of Cal the way they should, don't you just, you feel a little bit better about life. And I know you shouldn't. You really should. We shouldn't take it that seriously. But you do, right? Well, I don't know, but I'm going to push back on that. Okay, I think push. you should, because you should okay. take the small enjoyments from the these meaningless things where you can. Because how many times do we all take, uh, you know, the opposite from small things that don't matter? Right. Okay. Like, this Let's is go a, with that. It's a small thing that doesn't matter, but if it brings you a little bit of joy, that's great. That's profound. And frankly, you should come up with a little axiom for that in your like pyramid in the Dave Woods pyramid of success, because I, that's something that was kind of brilliant. And you should come up with short, little, catchy thing that will live on beyond your death. I yeah, think. I probably should. Yeah. Um, and quickly, because who knows? That could be coming soon. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. Uh, see, like, I went dark. I just went dark. Um, <laughs> Do the next one, too. <laughs> a really dark one. Companion axiom. I contain I contain multitudes. Um, but no, I mean, this, This. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've got the same feeling. And, you know, I, I contrast it because it was instructive to, um, uh, there was a game recently that, for whatever reason, I was just, struck by how different it was from watching the games when I lived in Georgia. And I realized that the fundamental difference was that it was a Steve Alford coach team and there was absolutely no joy in watching it. Um, and so I was never looking forward to the games. They were on really late, but also they just weren't very fun to watch. Now I'm like, Oh, it's Friday. There's no game today. That kind of blows. I want to watch them again. And that's um, strange. Isn't that really weird? Yeah. yeah. Like and it's obviously it's, it's our jobs. Like, but it's also like, it's just fun to watch them. Um, <laughs> but how often did we ever say, don't make me rewatch that? <laughs> well, that was the thing. It's like rewatching those Alford teams was, was an absolute – watching them the first time, watching them live was a chore. I think um, rewatching Lavin was worse. <laughs> I, I, I never I, had the joy, thank God. Um, I remember Hicks and I calling each other, just going, oh, my God, don't make me rewatch that game. Yeah, yeah, but this one you would actually like with with Cronin, you actually get new insights from watching it over again. But um, I, I, but just it's it's um, and you can see the it's not just that it's like enjoyable basketball, but the the joy that the team is playing with, like the way like Russell Stong hits that three, and the way the entire team erupts, like the guys on the floor were erupting, but the bench, the whole thing, the like celebration afterward, it was like they you know were cutting down the nets in the final four. Um, but like, even just the way they were excited for Jake Kaiman, who is a scholarship player. Um, it was, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's really great to see. Like yeah. Jules Bernard getting stong in like a bear hug and just like shouting in his ear after he made that shot. It's just, you know, that stuff is just, um, very, very fun and cool to see. But anyway, uh, UCLA is really good. Yeah, they are. Okay. <laughs> that's my transition. This is in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they're very interesting, too, because if you just weren't paying real attention to the Arizona game, like the score, <laughs> but just came in and started watching, you'd go, oh, wow, that that team in the dark uniforms, they've got some guys, man. They're athletic and tall and long. And that other team, yeah, they're just kind of 
a bunch of smaller, slower guys. I mean, that would be your impression. And even against Cal, for a, a while, you're just, you're still, you're, uh, you know, Cal shooting at 60%. You're still going, oh, okay. And they're effective in a different way. And it, it all adds up. And it's all so many little things. It's definitely experience. It's definitely lack. Right at the top of the list is a lack of turnovers. Damn, they do not turn over the ball. And that's, remember all those years, even when UCLA had good teams, they always seemed to commit 14 turnovers a game, 16. Yeah, no, that was, I mean, Howland's teams were good-ish, but they weren't this uh, at at, um, at avoiding turnovers. Yeah. So like, This is freaky. Yeah. Uh, just so everyone, just for the number, so everyone has it, uh, they are seventh nationally in turnover rate. That's... I mean, the pleasure that we're deriving from watching that not happen, <laughs> you just can't even quantify that. Uh, and we're taking it for granted because it's kind of one of those things where you finally, you look up at halftime, you go, okay, they only have two turnovers in the first half. <laughs> uh, it's that kind of thing that they take care of the ball. So th there's so many little things that add up that do things. Um a couple of posters made a great point about the mid-range jump shot. And I can attest that a lot of coaches have just said it's it's not worth it from, from an odds and points. You either get a layup or you get a three. But anything beyond 12 to 18 feet is not worth taking for the percentages. Except when you're shooting those shots at such a high rate and opposing teams have decided to let you have that shot. So that's a, and you know, that's, that's old school basketball to be able to score on all three levels. And that's just a, a thing of beauty. Yeah. That, that, I, those pull up mid, mid rangers. And I don't know what the exact numbers are for college. I think a lot of people conflate the NBA and college, but there's one fundamental difference, which is the compression of the court in college basketball. Um, it's easier to cover uh, the three point line than it is in um, the NBA. It's easier to contest. Um, so there might be a relative inefficiency there that Cronin is exploiting. Um, I, I still don't think it's like, you know, a, taking a 16-footer is still not ideal. Um, but for UCLA, they've got – so Cody Riley now is – I'm going to say Thomas Welsh automatic when he squares his shoulders and, and takes that little – it's like this little – like it's like he thinks he's a guard for just a second. He's doing like the little jab step and then he uh, does his little jumper from like 14 feet. And but when are they going to come out and just and put a, ha a hand in his face? Th I don't know. Not. But it's it's um, it's automatic now. Yeah. Um, he, he makes that, I would say, at like a 60% clip. Um, but you've got Johnny Juzang who can hit those shots. Um, but it's just like Jaime Hawkins is hitting those shots. Jules Bernard. Uh, Jules Bernard is hitting those shots. Um, Tiger Campbell can hit a number of different like floater type uh, that shots. was tiger campbell's go-to shot and he's the one taking less of them compared to the rest of the team right, now. <clears throat> right. it's just uh, they're they're kind of preternaturally skilled at um at those shots um but i think it's also uh it has to be coached at some level that they're like coached to do that and i think it's taking advantage of a little bit of an inefficiency in that I think a lot of, you know, coaches are designing their defenses in sort of an NBA mindset, um, and maybe it doesn't quite translate perfectly to college basketball. Um, just a theory, but yeah. um, it would make a little bit of sense. But, yeah, UCLA, the one, like, super elite quality is they don't turn the ball over. 
they're pretty good at basically everything else, but that's the elite quality. They just yeah, they're decent rebounding team, not great. Um, I, I mean, and we're just athletically, nah, not they're not they're not great athletes. Um, it's just they don't jump they don't jump off the screen when you're watching them, and but then you start to see the things that they do, all these little things, and then you got to throw in. There's some brilliant coaching going on here. The, uh, Arizona, I wrote that piece because I, I've been watching. I've been, you know, obviously, but I, I've really, we've all watched Gonzaga. I've really, I've really been intrigued with Tommy Lloyd and how different everyone, all, all you hear, the, the by road thing is they're a carbon copy of, of Gonzaga. So I really wanted to do some research to really look at them. They do a lot, but they do a lot that's a, a bit that's different too. So I wanted to see how UCLA's defense would match up and their flow offense that Arizona runs, it, it's basically leaves it in the hands of the players to make their decisions uh, as the offense is, is being executed. And they have to take, uh, there's some keys that they, that they react off of. And if you, you could tell Arizona just was unable to read keys and a lot of so much of it. There was so many elements of it, but not switching screens, going around the top of screens, uh, took away that mismatch key. So many things you can just see. And, and Arizona runs a generally this season have run a really nice offense. I mean, it's fun to watch. They were just completely out of sync. Um, so that was, it's, it's amazing on what level of coaching we're watching here, and then I've just got to add the killer instinct <laughs> and the competitiveness, the competitiveness level of Mick Cronin. Was there about a minute and a half left in that game? And they're at a timeout. They got those little small seats that Bill Walton loves to talk about out on the court, and he's he's trying to pump them up. Well, and then and, Tiger Campbell goes down the court and takes a charge with like 25 seconds left. Well, um, wait, and Tiger Campbell's saying, F him, F him. I mean, that, I, I got, I, I play that. I've played it a number of times. It gives me chills. I love it. I it's just, so good. Yeah, and you can see Mick. Mick's reaction is, yeah, this guy, <laughs> this guy really gets it. Um, it's just, it's, uh, so there's good coaching going on there. Can he push them too hard? Can he get in their face? Can he ride them? Absolutely. We, we are not fooling ourselves about what Mick Cronin does and doesn't do. He's trying to tone it down this year, you can tell. You can see him, like, on the sideline, taking deep breaths. <laughs> trying not to get too wild Well, he's up. doing a lot more of the um, turn to Savino and say something really shitty to him. Or um, Mike Lewis, too. Yeah, Mike rather, Lewis gets some. Yeah, yeah, rather than shout it out to the players. Um, which is better. You know, direct it to the adults, not yeah. to... Uh, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. Um, I think they all take to it pretty well. Um, it's part of the whole coachable thing is... Coachable means you're you're okay being screamed at. Um, yeah. So, but, but that was a great... That was a great game plan. It was a great scout. Uh, whichever coach, and like I said, I'm assuming it was it was Savino. Uh, but uh, you know they face Arizona in in what five days? Right? Yeah, Thursday. So this days. is the big. This is obviously they're going to be better playing in McHale by far. We know that uh, their home home court in front of their fans. UCLA won't be as good probably. 
Arizona has so many good pieces, but they've got they need to get that killer instinct. They need to get that high level level of competitiveness. And I didn't we didn't I haven't seen it from them. They're really young though. That's a young team. I'm I'm not I'm not afraid of this, but that if there was ever a message sent and UCLA's had a messages sent to them this 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 exact personnel over the last two years. That was a message sent to Arizona that you need to take your effort, focus, intensity all to another level. We'll see if, the, if that young team learns um, because they are talented. They they are they've got size and athleticism and and skill. So that's going to be that's going to be just obviously we're all interested in the game, but that's going to be a very interesting game, mostly to see how far Arizona has come in nine days. Yeah, and it might not even be a true indication of that. It might simply be they play at home. Uh, UCLA's on the road. I mean, UCLA is just. I mean, let's all let's all cast our memories back one week, uh, fresh off a road trip where they swept. Yes, um, but it was a couple of narrow wins over Utah and Colorado. Um, roads just kind of different. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can maintain. I think the big thing. Um, uh, well, one of the big things that stood out from Arizona was just um, how rejuvenated uh, Jaime Jaquez looked um, in that game. I mean, he was, especially in the second half, he was playing basically rover on defense, um, would just help off his guy perfectly, make an energetic play to get a block, then get the steal, then run down court, then make the layup, then come back, do it again. Um, there was a, a highlight cut that somebody did on Twitter of uh, Hawkes's defense in that game, and it was just nuts seeing what he was doing. Like the, just the feel and the instincts, along with like just the simple ability to get off of his guy on the perimeter, drop down, make a block, then get back out and run the floor in transition. Um, if he brings that level, and he was, and he was not quite the same against Cal, but he was pretty damn similar um, last night against Cal. No, he was pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was it was like the the steals up top. Um, what what I would notice what I noticed about Cal is that the energy flagged at the end in a way it really didn't against Arizona. Like there was one play where he was like, his legs were just not taking him to the perimeter anymore. Yeah. Um, but uh, if he brings that against Arizona again. I mean, here's the thing with Arizona. They haven't played a lot of close games. UCLA's played, I mean, to its detriment in the advanced stats, uh, has played basically nothing but close games. Um, so if Arizona can't blow them out, and if Jaime plays like that, they can't blow them out, it's going to be another close-ass game. And that's, uh, to your point, that's going to be the test for Arizona. Can they win a close game against a team playing, you know, it's its best basketball? Um Here's an interesting takeaway from Cal also. Uh, UCLA is good without Johnny Juzang also. Oh, damn, yeah. Um, I've been a little bit of a Juzang critic uh, previously. I, I think he keeps getting better. I, I am on the Juzang bandwagon this season because of that improvement in every kind of facet of the game, actually. Um but it was fun to it was fun it's fun to watch them with him especially since he's been playing so well lately uh, but it was fun to watch them without him also um Jaime Hawk has looked a little liberated to me uh if anything it gives us a hint of what if Juzang goes pro of what the team could be next year and maybe Jaime just says 
damn, I need this to be my team next year because I'm sharing, well, not even sharing, I'm kind of seeding the spotlight here or the go-to role to Juzang this year. Um, and he might feel he needs that to improve his draft stock. <laughs> and, of course, he wants to go to school with his little sister. Um, but I know you have a take on this team without Juzang. Well, so yeah, here's what I would say about Juzang. Um, he has been uh, a stud in conference play. Um, absolute stud. I mean, the numbers are uh, actually like pretty much elite at um, almost all levels. His free throw rate is um, the highest it's ever been. Uh, he's hit in threes at almost 50%. Um, he's not turning the ball over at all. He's first in the conference right now in turnover rate in just conference play. Um assisting it well he's actually cleaning up the defensive glass pretty damn well considering where he was last year the thing i would say is and this isn't so much a reflection of juzang as it is i think the um the way all three wings play together style of play yeah, yeah because it almost seems like sometimes they're going down the floor and they're just taking turns um doing their iso plays um and it can make the offense even though it's uh, statistically good like it's a statistically efficient offense it can make the offense look pretty stagnant um and it doesn't afford as many guys um clean looks there's a lot of having to do self-creation what we saw last night was uh with david singleton and jake kyman both playing more these two guys are not as good as johnny juzang they're just they're not um but they play in a certain way that actually i think facilitates the offense as a as a as a thing, as an entity, a little bit better. Like the way they were both feeding the post is something that you just don't see um, as often with uh, with the starters generally. And I'm not like trying to single out Juzang because I think he's played really well in conference play. Um, but like there was one post entry that was like, seriously, like one of the most beautiful things I've seen this year where David Singleton shows the ball, like he's got it like in front of his head, shows it to the post, and then he just overhand throws it to the post and it was like this perfect post entry pass and i'm like oh there that's 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 just that's just nice um it wasn't like a you know a little lob that had a chance of getting picked it was just a perfect post entry pass um but like just so many things like jake kyman's movement off the ball i swear to god i know you was such that. a huge part of cal <laughs> getting exhausted in that second half Go back if you if you want to do something fun. Just go back and watch the number of times Jake Kaiman is just sprinting back and forth on the baseline, trying to rub one of these Cal defenders um, off on the screen. There was one possession where I think he did it. He did it like three or four times. Someone needs to make like a a gif out of that. It was (laughs) insane, but that's exhausting. That's I mean, if you remember Howland, that was the play for Aaron Aflalo to get open. It was always these like baseline staggered screens, and the the best part about that is yeah it would often result in a decent enough shot Aaron Aflalo wasn't like a lights out three-point shooter but it was a decent enough shot but it exhausted the other team because that's like it's it's playing defense on offense it's getting guys tired uh defending you so then when you play defense it's easier because their legs are shot if you've ever played basketball the most exhausting thing is trying to get through screens yeah it's 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 big dudes just standing there yeah, yeah it's tiring yeah, and, and then you get behind the guy rather than alongside him, and then he's open. I mean, there's there's so many factors to it, but um, it was uh, what, what Kaiman and Singleton, I guess my point is, what Kaiman and Singleton were doing wasn't scoring a bunch of points, and it wasn't being those ball-dominant um, scorers that Johnny Juzan can provide, and John, that's essential for UCLA to probably get where it's going. 
is Juzang being back and being able to do that stuff. But when you put Kaiman and Singleton on the court, you have the potential for creating um, a, 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 I don't know, a better dynamic. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean they have to be in over Juzang or even if they're in over Bernard or even over Hawkes, there's there's potential for that to be created because of um, what they truly bring to the court rather than, you know, kind of what sacrifices you're making when a guy like Juzang is off. You, you know, that's these are all the things that I'm saying that all add up. All of these little details with this team at it's it's almost like you know when you read you read Shakespeare and there's all these little parts and it all it's just amazing how it all coalesces or they all these motifs play off of each other and then it makes your brain explode when you suddenly realize what's going on and what this genius did. Cronin is kind of like the Shakespeare of basketball sometimes when all of these little things. I mean, well, we've is, got our podcast title. Ah, is he randomly? coming up with this or I mean and they're just coming together or is he sitting there and conceiving of all of these elements and know that they contribute to each other that's that's the thing yeah and it's it's um regardless either way it's uh it's pretty you know beautiful to watch when you see a team just came came off this great um win over Arizona without a key reserve. And then it's like, haha, new challenge. Now do it without a starter and without that key reserve in the next game. Um, and they won by way more than they were projected to win by. Um, this was one of the first games in conference play, actually. Well, actually, Arizona was one of the first, but um, Cal is the second one, where they won by quite a bit more than they were projected to win by on all the analytic systems, which is the kind of thing that Cronin was um, uh, talking about earlier this season about the net rankings is you've got to, You've got to start blowing teams out, uh, just unfortunately because of the way the net rankings work. And See, this is isn't that amazing that he's even he? No other coach would ever comment about that. So I don't. Here's think. the thing. Here's the thing. Cronin. Wait, trying, one more thing. That's the thing. You're not sure, and you think maybe this is just random. But in our interviews, he clearly has a higher awareness about what's going on on that no the the combination of like um uh like thoughtfulness and uh somebody posted this on the board and it was like he's got such an interesting mix of traits um and not to get into like hagiography here but it is like (laughs) it's it's an interesting um complexion of of things because has he done 23 and me do you think (laughs) (laughs) um but it's just he's a he's obviously a very very good coach kind of um amazingly despite um being a head coach for a long time a little bit flew under the radar um but that's the thing i i just wanted to uh, aside about his interviews He's transparent, like on top of all the stuff where he says like really insightful things about basketball and about the players and all that kind of stuff. And he's funny and everything else. um, It's uh, it's transparent um, in a way that like the typical paranoid head coach is not Um, like they won't admit ever that they're looking ahead to anything else. They won't admit ever that they are properly contextualizing the season, even if that is like a fundamental part of their job. Well, because Um, at the same time, he says. Really, I'm just I'm just worried about Thursday. You know, he'll say something like that, but then he'll talk about the net rate because you know he's because he's not that. a psycho. Like none of these guys are just like except for but Nick no Saban. Co- nobody is coaches, sitting there thinking just about Thursday. But other coaches don't do that. They they don't. It's and you know what? Come on, let's be honest. He's keeping how much is he showing us? Tip of the iceberg. There's so much he's not showing us in those interviews. So it's kind of here I go again. I'm doing the shakes. It's kind of genius what. 
he's doing coach speak while at the same time, which I think is probably genuine. He is probably just thinking about Thursday, but he's talking non-coach speak. There's some real fresh material in there while you know he's not giving it all up. So, yeah. While he's got this hominess to it, he, he doesn't seem like this little professor genius. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty... It, it, it's pretty artful. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I loved one of the things he said last night. Um, he was talking about Jaime, and it's interesting who he doles out praise to and who, you know, maybe gets a little bit of a critique. And he was like, yeah, the one thing I want Jaime to work on is his vision when he drives. Um, you know, when he gets down low, um, he, he's got to be able to kick it. Because if he can do that, he's going to, you know, it'll really expand his game and really expand our offense. And I'm like, yeah, that's fundamentally true and also – Great thing to say to your guy who may or may not want to leave this here that he's got like some very basic part of the game to work on, um, which I, I and it was and it's totally accurate too. Um, but uh, the uh, yeah, I, I think just that game um, kind of epitomized what uh, what program he has built here. Like even more than the Arizona game, last night's game, um, with the ability of so many guys to come in um, and step when they're up. down. Some guys. Yeah, to be down some guys. And then you've got this Jake Kaiman fella who uh, has been just riding the pine for basically two full years now. Um, he he last was a, a considerable part of the rotation two full years ago. Um, and have him come in and allow him to play through some stuff. Like he had a couple of bad defensive plays. Um, he got switched onto a couple of bigs, and that was not not pretty to watch. But allow him to play through some stuff, and then his con you could see his confidence in real time coming back. Um, he hit that uh, that first three, which you know obviously was probably big for him. But then he hits that um, little uh, uh, I don't know 12, 14 footer, uh, just pure goes in. Um, and then by the end, he's taking step back threes and nailing them. Um, if I'm not saying Jake Kaiman's going to be back in the rotation if he because I think he's going to play considerably again tomorrow because um, Jalen Clark as Mick Cronin alluded to, is more than likely going to be out again. And Johnny Juzang won't be out of protocols yet. Um, but uh, he might not be back in the rotation again after this. But think about what the confidence from this might mean in the third round of the NCAA tournament when a bunch of guys are in foul trouble and he has to come in and play meaningful minutes. Yeah. Um, here's the other thing that we take for granted, I think, a bit. Obviously, the lack of turnovers. We... How often in every game, football, basketball, and football, do we question playing time? <laughs> Almost every game back in the day, you know, um, oh, yeah. uh, BC before Cronin, every time we'd say, why isn't this guy playing? Oh, I question how. We barely question playing time now because, I mean, you'd love Jake Kyman to get more playing time, but the fact that he hasn't gotten it is valid because when he when Cronin has given him a shot, uh, sorry the pun, he's missed those shots. Yeah, and, and that's what he needs to be is that designated shooter to to come in, and he hasn't done it. So it's every almost every. My wife hates it when I say every or always, so I have to learn to to just back off of that and say almost every. That's key, Dave, in relationships. All about relativity and couching. Almost uh, every uh, choice of playing time, uh, we agree with. 
Uh, it's hard to find fault. Every once in a while, we'll nitpick, but I think we got to try sometimes. Um, and yeah, then, I think the last yeah. time it was really was um, the Johnny Juzang stuff, which I think uh, pretty much bore out in Mick's favor. Oh, uh, so Mick was right. Yeah, yeah okay. Mick was dead on, and yeah. we were, you know, slappies on the internet. Um, but I think it's what we do now. So I, I, the thing with me is I, I can go hard contrarian and I would have still felt the same way if Johnny was playing the same way this year that he was, um, midway through last year. But frankly, he's been, um, a more efficient and I think less, um, less trying to get his, especially now that conference play has hit that I think they're playing him the right way. And that's the thing with Kaiman is I think Kaiman, uh, I, I think he can, I don't. I think in, on a different UCLA team, um, without so many guys on the wing, he could play eight to ten minutes a game and probably, you know, play competently and fine. It's just when you put him on the floor, you're taking minutes away from Johnny Juzang, David Singleton, Jalen Clark, Peyton Watson, uh, potentially Jules Bernard. Like you're taking minutes away from guys who are, frankly, better. They're just better players um, and. With a guy like Singleton, a guy who does a lot of the same things and does them better. You know, he does flow the ball well. He does, you know, play his assignments defensively, even if he doesn't necessarily have the foot speed to always um, be great at stopping dribble penetration. Um, Like, they've got guys who do the things that Kaiman does, and they do them a little bit better. Um, But if he can play like that last night again, and that's, I think, why Mick um, said it in the postgame yesterday is, He'd love it if uh, Jake wanted to use his COVID year and play two more years um, because you could see, all right, continue to work with him, continue to work with him, continue to work with him. Maybe he becomes an automatic three-point shooter, and he's your David Singleton once Singleton is gone after next year. You know what I like from Kaiman? Um, he gets, like, he, he made a mistake, and he'll, like, pound the the pads on the back of the of the pole, the backboard, and you. But it's it's a reaction to. He's doing the right thing. He made the right decision. He just fouled the guy right on a bad yeah, foul yeah. or something. It's not like he's falling asleep and someone's backdooring him. Which our youngster uh, Peyton Watson. Oh my! Whew. Wow. There's wow. a lot to like there, and there's there's <laughs> some, there's some things to work on, buddy. Wow. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, we can't even describe. And it's happened a few times of fault of just literally falling asleep. And I, I'm looking at the game. I'm going, come on. Even before it's happened, I go, come on, man. Get awake. You're falling. You can just see him falling asleep a little. Yeah. Kaiman doesn't do that. He He's doing the exact right thing. It's just sometimes he doesn't execute it. Yeah, and he's. Right. I mean, he's a little. He's a step slower. Um, yeah. Like there's all that kind of stuff. He's gotten a lot better, and that's the thing. What I say about him and Singleton. Singleton's more athletic. Um, he can move better than Kaiman does. Um, but they both are playing assignment sound defensive basketball. Um, they're gonna get beat just because there's gonna be a. a it's not every guard that they go against, but a lot of guards they go against are going to have quicker feet than they do. And it's just the simple reality of it. You've got to be uh, a little bit better on your anticipation maybe, but there's some guys who are just going to beat you. Um, but they're both playing like assignment sound defensive basketball. It's just they, they you know, they, they don't quite have um, the athleticism to pull it off all the time. Um, but yeah, that's I noticed that play with Kaiman too, where he just kind of pounds the padding because again he didn't he switched correctly. He was yeah, I think he ended up on a big on that play, 
Um, and the guy just scored over him, and while he was doing it, uh, Kaiman was trying to block the shot and, and fouled him. Or um, he just got bumped into because he wasn't on balance or something. Right, I mean, yeah, yeah, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, that was a really, uh, a really, really, I think, exciting game if you're, if you're thinking about NCAA tournament. It, maybe even more so than Arizona, because how hard is it to get up for Arizona? But you know get, what? Yeah. Go but ahead, getting sorry. up, getting up for California, getting up for a yeah. bad team um, at home um, two nights after you just blew out Arizona, um, and the, the manner in which they did it, it felt very much like the dismantling of a first round opponent in the NCAA tournament. You know what's going to be really interesting because we haven't had this yet, really. Our um, UCLA uh, Cronin coached UCLA players that have a few years in the league. Um, uh, guys in the NBA, I mean, they're in the NBA because they're really talented, but they've also learned, they have work ethics, they realize, I mean, they play so many damn games a year. You've got to bring it all the time. I think Cronin is creating players that are going to be able to be successful in the NBA because he's putting them through, he's putting them through a boot camp. He's training them on how they need to play with intensity and focus and bring it all the time. I think the NBA, I mean, when you're, when you're evaluating, do you remember when Ben Hallen's guys, like you'd be, all of Ben Hallen's guys when he was at UCLA, the guys, his players, when they were in the NBA combine, they all were fundamentally a little bit better. They played a little bit harder. Um, and it took a while, and I don't even know if the NBA ever got it, that an NBA, that a that a Howland coach guy is going to have some other elements to them that you need to be able to evaluate, just not athleticism and his skill and those kind of things. I think that's going to become a thing with Cronin. I think a lot of these guys will have will pro, what they're being projected to be in the NBA is probably underselling them. Because they're going to go in the NBA and prepared to play hard and really, really have tough mentality honed. Yeah. Um, which will be really fun to watch. There is one thing we need to talk about when we're talking about Cronin, too. And you were talking about people potentially leaving. Um, there's obviously been a lot of noise about him going to Louisville. Uh, it makes sense. You can naturally see why. He's, nope. He's, he, well, no, no, no. Let's just say why not that we can see it, but why maybe the rest of the country could perceive why it. Why Louisville so. wants him makes a ton of sense. Um, for one thing, I mean, Louisville's got a crap load of money. I, I'm in, even though I don't think Cronin cares that much about money. Um, and there are other elements you can see why someone might, might think it. And I think you wrote at the end of your article, I hope Cronin can use this to leverage it. <laughs> an even bigger contract with UCLA. I, I, and I think he won't do a Jimmy Sexton, but, I, and I don't want to give it away for Mick, but I think he'll, he might, you would naturally, anyone would naturally use this situation to not necessarily improve your contract, but make your present situation, your present athletic department and athletic director in university really appreciate you in so many ways. I know Cronin was frustrated 
over some things. It's obvious he was frustrated over no fans, and we will not. I don't want to spur on an argument of why there were no fans and who made that decision. I, I can I can say it wasn't Martin Jarman's decision, but I know Cronin it came was, from the top. It came from the top. I know Cronin was frustrated over that. There were some other things that happened, uh, you know, uh, like. Uh, that certain plane with its windshield cracking. I, I think he was kind of pissed off about that. Um, you, there were you some think, things that got him. You think he was pissed off about a pro- near-death experience? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, from I think they, I think they were doing that thing, thinking we could be dying right here. Um, so I, I think it's a matter of of. of him really sending a message, you know, uh, if he did turn around to Louisville and say, yeah, I want this job, Louisville would probably hire him. He's a very, he's going to be a very, very coveted coach and UCLA needs to appreciate him. Maybe not with a contract, but with maybe uh, getting the best plane you could get chartered and other things along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, basics that uh would go a long way here um but i I think um fundamentally i hope he i hope he uses it as a tremendous amount of leverage um because i think there's there's uh there's value to be gotten there for him um but it doesn't i mean it fundamentally uh would be i think an uh an irrational decision for cronin um to the point that doesn't make any sense like watch that guy talk about anything and then think if you can can you imagine him making an irrational choice and that's the point where it gets yeah there's no way this is happening because right now this guy so the thing about cronin that i think people need to like fundamentally understand is that uh like his driving motivation in life right now is winning a national championship like i don't uh, there, there's other stuff going on in his life obviously he's got family he's got you know horses that he loves and everything but like this is a he's a he's a basketball sicko like the amount of games that he purports to have watched during the season like he's talking about games that are going on like that's another thing going back to the interviews he's talking about other teams games from earlier that day or the previous day that he just watched because he's a basketball sicko hey Uh, i gotta admit though if we were able to walk into the viewing room at mo austin and just click on any game on tape that's been that's been played. I'd probably I gotta admit I'd probably spend all day in that room too. Fair enough, but my point is he is doing that because he's a sicko. That would be like fun. I, I, he that lives and fun. breathes the basketball stuff. He desperately wants to win a national championship. He moved out of his hometown to Los Angeles, uprooted his entire family because he desperately wants to win a national championship. He has UCLA now in a window that yeah. may yawn for his entire career here, but it's already open to win a national championship. This and, team this year, yeah. this team this year can win a national championship. Next year, the team can next year win can win a national championship. That's not saying they're going to, but they can. The team last year could have won a national championship. He has that now. Why would you then say, okay, I'm going to go to Louisville? Yeah, it's an elite job. Sure. Is the window open for Louisville right now? Hell no. Will it be open next year? Almost certainly not. And then impending sanctions. And then impending sanctions. Like the the window might not yawn open at Louisville, and I do think it would for Cronin. I think he's I, I think he's proven now 
he's a really damn good coach. Um, but it might not be for it might not be for three or four or five years. Um, so why would you do that? You're 50 years old. Get it done here. Um, yeah. And so I think there's some soft stuff that's pissed him off for sure. Um, but I, I I can't imagine that is weighing enough to make him leave unless he is like unless something stupid happens. Like he tries to leverage this and UCLA tells him to piss up a rope, which I can't imagine would happen. Yeah. As we this whole podcast. We've been talking about how um, kind of brilliant he is. Um, that would be an unbrilliant move. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't. It doesn't make sense from so. Even if it pissed him off so much, I can't still see him making an irrational decision like that. Um, yeah, he's got to be the main point. I want to win a national championship. What gets me there the quickest? And it's yeah. uh, it's staying here. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. So next. Uh. So next up tomorrow it's Stanford. That's going to be a tough one. They just beat USC. UCLA Damn. hasn't. UCLA hasn't played Stanford this year. Um. They have. Um. They, they could present some matchup trouble. Um. You know they've got some big dudes. Uh. It's a lot of just like six seven to six nine on their team. Um, and uh, one of the tallest done team, to, one of the tallest teams in the country. I guess. Yeah, one of uh, they they've uh, they beat USC twice. Um, they also got absolutely smoked by Arizona. It's tough to know. I mean, Jared Haas is not a good coach. Um, I think that's pretty definitive at this point. Um, but the Stanford does a lot of the like waxing and waning, where suddenly they'll look pretty good, and then suddenly they'll look like real real butt. Um, and you just never know what you're going to get on any given day, but I would imagine they're going to be up for this one. Yeah, I don't even think he's that bad of a coach. He, he just doesn't have a lot of talent. I mean, he's got one guy who's really talented. That's Harrison Ingram, and he's a freshman, and he still makes freshman mistakes, but he's averaging like, I don't know, 12 and 7, something re- you know ridiculous. Um, I, I'm not a great coach, but I, I, I wouldn't say I, – I wouldn't call him a horrible coach. When you watch them, though, they're – <laughs> they're an un, big, slow, unathletic, okay skilled, decently skilled. But damn, that I watched both of the games against SC and I watched it in detail, rewound and watched it again. Because those that that's a really that's a great matchup against there is no way SC should lose against Stanford. There's there's just no way. And they do and they did and it's not really what Stanford does as much as what SC just is not well, if we, doing. If we, if we, against if we want them. to talk about sneaky, horrible coaches, um, yeah, we can get an Andy Enfield argument at some point because for the talent that USC has had over over his, uh, I would say especially like the last I don't know four or five years, uh, results kind of underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. So that that's why uh, my takeaways from that. UCLA is not SC. SC is Arizona. UCLA, I mean, there are a lot of differences, but UCLA is the better, more talented version of Stanford is really kind of what they are. So that gives me hope against USC this year. The matchup directly with Stanford, I mean, UCLA is more talented. They're at, they're at Poly. They should win, but they'll be losing a couple of guys but the UCLA we saw last night should handily beat 
Stanford. The, 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 the UCLA we saw last night should beat Stanford by 16. Like, it, yeah. shouldn't, it shouldn't be a close game. Maybe it'll be close in the first half, but it shouldn't be, like, a close final. It's just – it would be completely understandable for UCLA to not bring it in this game. Like, not even just, like, oh, we can expect it, like, a little bit. Like, a lot of people are expecting it for Cal. It would be understandable. Like, it would actually be a little bit rare for them to be continuously up five days into this uh or 10 days into this five games and 10 days stretch um so i'm i'm interested to see what it looks like because if they are able to bring it again for this one which i think is like more than anything more than anything maybe besides arizona state uh at the end of that arizona road trip it's gonna be uh, i think a signal that this team is locked fully in yeah Um, i don't but you gotta take that back a little they ain't close to lock fully. They got a. I mean, uh, Cody Riley's not even close to what he was last no. season. No, Jaime Hawkes, def- especially is, defensively. Jaime Hawkes is not what he was at the beginning of the season. Um, Jaime's getting close now. I mean, Jaime the last two okay. games, I would say, is pretty damn close to where he was. At the I would of the say season. Tiger Campbell wasn't what we saw. I think the the, the thumb injury must be. Uh, I, they're not. They've got Peyton Watson could get a lot better. Jalen Clark was flashing. He hasn't played. Oh, we got to talk about Peyton Watson. Okay, we got to talk about football a little too. Uh, uh, we okay. do. Don't okay. sound like that. Don't. Okay. okay, okay, okay. But Peyton Watson, um, I loved the way Cronin used him in Cal. Um, I, I thought it was really great. Gave him a really long leash for you know a lot of reasons. One, there's nobody else to play, but also to see what he could do in that game because I think Cronin recognized pretty early uh, we're going to win this game by a lot. Um, and he gave Watson, especially in the last like 10 minutes or so, a lot of opportunities to be the guy, uh, to be the dude creating. And if you remember back to the beginning of the season, he started to give Watson some of those uh, opportunities and Watson completely blew it, like really struggled to do anything off the balance. Like there was one game where it was pretty good, but the rest of the time it was really, really bad. And so he stopped really having those like long stretches of, you know, he's the one handling the ball up top and he's the one who creates off the dribble. This game, it was kind of a return to that, but Watson actually was creating off the dribble. He was creating foul opportunities. He wasn't creating his own, you know, shot as much, but he got to the line a bunch, which is exactly kind of the the Jules Bernard strategy at the end of the game. You know, just you know, barrel in there, see if they foul you, and then, uh, you know, get your foul shots. Uh, so to see Watson do that, I thought that was a really good sign of maturity, but also just that Cronin continued to play him. Um, and then he had that, that one alley-oop that he caught from Kaiman where he caught it basically like way to the left of the hoop and then brought it back to throw it in. Um, and then the offensive rebound where I swear to God, he, his head was by the rim and his arm was somehow at the top of the key catching that ball. Um, I don't know how it happened, but that's what my eyes told me happened. Um, and then brought it up and put it in. Uh, he's, um, he's a freak and uh, I, I'm, I'm loving the way, you know, after after Cronin proved us all wrong with the way, or us, me at least, uh, wrong with the way he used Juzang uh, last year, watching it in real time this year, knowing the strategy, I'm really excited to see what Peyton Watson looks like in March. Well, here's the, here's the other element too, and y'all have to know this. There's been a lot of talk out there, recruiting circles and stuff, uh, among recruits, families, uh, wow, Cronin is not using his lottery pick. He's not playing him enough. He's not giving him enough opportunity. I, I've heard it. People have heard it. 
it the what Mick Cronin has done with Peyton Watson, how he's used him, could very well hurt recruiting. And Cronin did it anyway because he played the guys he needed to play to win. I mean, other coaches might have just played the five-star lottery pick because he needs to show the whole recruiting world that if you come here, I'm going to play you. So he didn't do that. But luckily, <laughs> he had a very fortunate situation where he had the opportunity to play him. It, like you said, no one else to play. Um, so not only, to your point, could it really pay dividends just because of an improved Peyton Watson and the impact he could have on UCLA season by the end, but, you know, hopefully helping or, let's say, uh, taking the edge off of that element a little uh, of people thinking of in the recruiting world that Cronin won't play you. Well, he did. While Cronin is still maintaining his integrity and playing the guys he needs to play to win. So that was kind of like just about the ideal situation well, and you could have. If you, if anybody out there, if you guys watched uh, Pete and Watson uh, talking after the game um, in the post game interview that Mike posted, um, he's got uh, such a good head on his shoulders. Um, the way he talks about himself, like you can hear the introspection. I think he knows what kind of player he is right now. Like the way he was talking about it, he was saying because uh, Mike asked a question about playing uh, five games in ten days, and Watson said, "This is." This is the most basketball I've played ever. Um, like this, uh, I didn't. I wasn't playing like this because he didn't play uh, his his senior year. Um, this is this is like I'm, I, you know, I'm I'm feeling it. This is exhausting, but it's also really good. Um, and it was really enlightening to hear him say that because it's not a kid who's like, oh, I should be playing 35 minutes a game every game. And I'm sure he feels that at some level because all these guys have the, you know, competitive greatness attitude. Oh, no, it's just not that. They have so many guys that they have so many people. It's a testament to what a great kid he is because you know generally how many people he have in his, has in his ear just telling and him they're not be, using him enough. Yeah, and to still be realistic about it and say, yeah. like, look, I'm, I'm playing whatever 20 minutes a game right now, and it's and that's that's a lot. Um, and so I think, um, he's got a really good head on his shoulders. I still think he's probably, I mean, uh, I don't know, man. I, 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 so I was apparently, uh, Sam Vicente put out his big board and had Peyton Watson in like the forties or the fifties. Yeah. But as you said, that's just BS. If he that's, goes, that's gotta be first hedging. round, it's, it's a hedge. Gotta yeah. be hedging because if he goes, you just look at him, like, just look at him and like throw a highlight reel of like the big plays he's made. Like, the negatives are there. Everyone knows about the negatives, I think, at this point. But, like, how many guys do you have who can make an offensive rebound like that? Like, just that, in that the, was, the freaking NBA right now, how many guys can have an offensive rebound like that? That was Cronin giving him the opportunity for his highlight room. Yeah, and it's just like, well, look, there aren't many guys ever who can do that. Like, there aren't too many guys who look like Peyton Watson. So, can you teach him how to play, uh, you know, uh, can you teach him how to, that's what I wrote in the thing, but, like, Learn a pump fake, dude. Learn a pump fake, have a little bit more patience around the hoop, and his scoring would be up quite a bit because he wouldn't have missed so many layups. And maybe uh, and maybe if we're putting together that reel, just don't fall asleep on defense. Yeah, I mean, all freshmen fall asleep on defense. Damn. But um, he's still, I mean, I would still put him in like the top, crap, I don't know. He's probably top five defenders on the team. 
uh, yeah. even with the occasional laps because sure. of what he can erase and also the defensive glass. Um, he is right now UCLA's best defensive rebounder. Yeah. By the, by the numbers. Yeah. So well, anyway. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk football. Really okay, fast. okay. Uh, first off. Hang on. Uh, let me get – let me get – Okay. All right. I'm ready. You got to get comfortable for football. Yeah, yeah, no, I gotta, uh, really I fast. Get my let's just do the done. defensive coordinator. Told you, told everyone a while back, this is going to be a longer process. Everyone thinks it was going to turn over in a couple of days. That's, that's not how Chip Kelly does things. That's not how anyone is doing things right now at this time. If Mario uh, Cristobal Mario still hasn't Cristobal. hired coordinators. Right. So just everyone can't jump on, on Chip Kelly because he hasn't, hired a dc yet um it's if if you want him to hire a good defensive coordinator this is a good sign that he's that he's looking into guys and like i said i dropped that little thing that there was a possibility of demeco ryan's the san francisco dc um so he's out there trying to find himself a defensive coordinator so just you know, I, I'm sorry I'm not giving you updates, right? Because they're literally, uh, they've got a they've got a plug on this and there isn't just that much going on right at this very moment. I think they're trying to finish off recruiting while there's a, I mean, Chip's out on the road. He's actually on the road, not wearing any UCLA gear. He's out on the road during this contact period that goes through Sunday. Okay, that. Transfer recruiting. I think I've made it pretty clear up to this point where we are and what stage we're in. They have six transfer commitments. Pretty good little haul they got there. Um, will it go on hold for a while? No. Some guys are still going to be entering the transfer portal. They won't be able to visit during February. They won't be able to visit until the beginning of March. Uh, there will be guys who might make a decision without taking a visit. We've seen that happen a number of times. It happened last off season. Uh, you still got four commitments without them visiting. So uh, don't think like they've screwed the pooch in transfer recruiting because they're not actively recruiting eight guys right now. There are always guys who are going to be going into the transfer portal. There are always guys that quite legally have through intermediate intermediaries have sent out, you know, kind of a little notice that they're probably going into the transfer portal. I think you should trust this process right now. Mark where we are at the end of January and how many more guys they're going to recruit from the transfer portal by the end of spring. It's going to be a lot. Um, signing day. Yeah. I, I mean, this is, this is disappointing. I think at how they have really kind of given up, not given up. They've, they've have taken so much emphasis away from high school recruiting. I mean, we all like signing day. I get it, but it's, it's just not that we like signing day. It's, it's an indication of just not that much of an emphasis on, on high school recruiting. Uh, but on the other hand, they have some time on their hands because they're not recruiting any 2020 guys who could sign on Wednesday. So they're having kind of a junior day. Uh, we'd say at least six guys are visiting UCLA and probably and probably more. There's a, I think there's an OLDL combine in, in LA. So there might be some guys popping by. Um, so there's that. Everyone wanted Chip Kelly to 
being more ahead of the game in recruiting. Well, that's kind of what's happening mainly because he's got some time on his hands because he's not recruiting 2022 as much, but just everyone jumps on everything to make it out to be negative. The D the defensive coordinator, we want him to go out and get an elite one. I post that he tried to look into getting an elite one and then he gets condemned for that. So guys, just a little bit more rational thought process and balance would be just great. Uh, just got to add DeAndre uh, Gill. It's Since Brandon said it, I'll say it. It's not academics. It's neither party's fault. Uh, you should just leave it at that. We're trying to respect uh, the situation and res respect the recruit. Um, Y'all don't need to know this one. We tell you enough inside stuff. Just respect this and respect the kid and and let and let this be. Wow. You still there? Yeah. No, that was, uh, I need a cigarette. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah Thanks, it's, Dave. Uh, that was nice. Yeah. You like that? Um, yeah. yeah uh, I just, you know, I, I'd like UCLA to recruit, um, you know, at minimum Arizona level, you know, what's wrong with that? Um, but yeah, they'll have a lot more transfers. Those will be coming in. Um, I think a bunch of schools are, uh, more or less shutting down transfer recruiting right now anyway, because um, most of them are past the enrollment time for spring practice now. So, Well, they're not really because uh, all those guys out there, you know, the process here of these guys, of football players, deciding they're going in the transfer portal isn't like this set in stone streamlined thing. A lot of times something happens. These are human beings. Okay, they had a falling out with their position coach. They realize something's happening in the program and it came to a head. So in mid-February, they go, I'm, I'm in the transfer portal. This is what is happening. It happens all the time and it will happen. You and I said last week and I wrote a story about it. Yeah, there are there is a wish list to get through the transfer portal for next season. But damn it, they get one starter level left tackle. They'll be pretty good given that... Uh, given that schedule the game schedule so they've got some time and i don't know personally i haven't been informed of offensive tackles that are going to go in the transfer portal but i'm going to go out on a limb and say there are going to be some guys who enter the transfer portal that ucla will recruit and have a chance to get boom love it love it um what i loved about that is that it, it left me um uh pretty much out of having to talk football which i think was the uh which was I, really the gift you gave me. I and the did gift that you gave for the you. listeners. It was all, it was our, our little thing right there was all one way. It was a one way street. It was beautiful. I, I wouldn't You just have sat it. back and then smoked your cigarette. It was great. It was yeah. great. Okay, Dave. Yeah, I, uh, I enjoyed myself. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I've got nothing else. Obviously. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm tapped. You're I'm spent. Wiped. I know. Yeah, I get it. I can I, hear it in your voice. I'm crushed. There's okay. nothing left. Um, you know, we're just going to watch some basketball tomorrow. Hey, you know what? We're going to also watch the USMNT, right? Yeah. Are they playing tomorrow? Or is yeah. it Sunday? Sunday. No, Sunday. Sunday. Uh, they just beat El Salvador. Now they did. Uh, that was a must, must win, I guess. And now uh, Canada. Yeah, they've got it. So if I, they I, beat Canada, they're pretty, are they pretty much World Cup qualifiers? Well, yeah, because they'll probably, win. who are they playing last? Honduras? 
think so. This this round, if they win all three, there's still some other dominoes that would need to fall, but they would be in basically like lock position. Um, even as it is right now, like they're they're probably in. Um, but uh, yeah, beating Canada would be huge. Um, so we'll I'm see. getting kind of tired of watching like a big soccer event and the men's U, the U.S. men's team is not in it. Well, yeah. and the thing is, like, I'm watching this men's team and I'm like, they're actually. They actually have some guys. Now. They got some guys now. They do. Yeah, like some guys who can actually create. Um, yeah. Because I'm so used to watching like kind of just like big U.S. men's soccer teams that just kind of not very skilled, but they might like, you know, knock you over or something. But like there's only a couple of guys who I think are like kind of unskilled who play a lot. Um, most of them are legitimate dudes now. Here's my OK. I know everyone's turning off right now. Here's my theory on U.S. men's soccer. Some company who's got a lot of money should get really smart and decide to start this whole network of soccer academies in the U.S. where they literally go into uh, inner cities. They go into different and they say, here's your chance of playing professional football anywhere in the world. Here's your chance of playing professional basketball. Here's your chance of playing professional soccer. And... They take this kid from their family when he's like 10 years old, like the European academies. He goes to school. He learns how to play soccer without his shoes because that's how you're supposed to train when they're kids. Um, And all those guys who play football and basketball, but football, who are 6'2 and 245 pounds and run 4'440s, who are amazing athletes who end up not playing in the NFL for whatever reason, are soccer players. So we have a team of 6'3", 240-pound, 4'4", guys who are skilled. So someone needs to get on this. Well, that's the thing. is I, I think people don't understand the numbers with soccer because it truly is an international sport. Like, the number of professional spots there are... Is phenomenal. It eclipses Every other sport probably combined. Um, oh, it's not uh, easily. Uh, probably a couple of times over. The well, I'm, I'm even including, in I'm even including other region. international sports. Like, it, yeah. is, it is global and um, insane in a few places. Like, yeah. you know, the fact that there are, like, what, four pro leagues in the in, uh, United Kingdom? Uh, it's No, it's, you can go to South America and earn a really good living playing pro soccer on right. many and, pro soccer and be leagues. worshiped like a God, yeah. like an actual God, which is, um, I mean, it's not a bad thing going to Brazil and being worshiped like a, a God. No, I think, I think a lot of people would take that. Um, take so yeah, I mean, uh, the, the U S is, uh, very much a, uh, perpetual sleeping giant here. Um, just from a sheer population standpoint, but also demo standpoint. Um, there's, there's a lot of reason to think that, the U.S. could be very, very good if they ever got their act together in soccer because there's more than enough athletic guys to go around. It's the um, soccer academies. It's the way to go. You got to get them. You got. You can't. You got to get those great athletes really young, not even twelve. I'm talking like eight or nine at least. Yeah. And get a ball on their foot every day, every day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We All just right. solved it, right? We now. solved. Uh, we solved American soccer, which I. You know, as, as it's trending right now, it might not even need to be solved. All right. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we'll talk to you again next time. It was great hanging with you guys. See you later.